Y'all, I wish you could see this scene. Uh, <laughs> we are each, um, Sarah's in a blanket fort. The best and, fort. Um, I'm in a closet. <laughs> We're experimenting with sound. Let us know what you think about, about this uh, really high-tech setup we've got. <laughs> It's it's pretty great. It's it pretty, pretty great. great. It it's, pretty it's, great. it's super comfortable to be hunched over for two and a half hours. It feels really good on my back. I feel great right now. I feel approximately 92. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like a weird kind of version of 92 where you're like, am I also eight years old again? I don't yeah. remember, I don't remember uh, Blanket Ford being this small. It's a bizarre combo of eight and 92 yeah best combo right Uh, i'm glad you stumbled upon us here uh you're listening to bible bitches a podcast where we talk about biblical and religious topics from a feminist comedic perspective and i'm here with the one sarah e hoff an awesome agnostic living in la california Indeed, I do. And I am talking with the illustrious Laura Barclay, who is a Baptist minister located in Louisville, Kentucky. And we're doing a two-parter on, um, was on Jesus, what are we doing a two-parter on? We're doing a two-parter on um, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, and this is part two. Um, part so two. If, yeah, and if you have not listened to part one, then go back and do that because there's going to be lots of spoilers like uh strong spoiler alert jesus died <laughs> out i know he's he is currently dead in our in our chronology and we actually solved the mystery of why he died in the last episode so yeah, yeah and, and we uh we actually waited a full three days before recording this podcast after that one right to give it the uh the old, yeah. the old Good Friday uh, Easter yeah. double punch. <laughs> the two oh, for one. The two for. So yeah, you're getting two for here. Uh, so yeah, we basically got out our magnifying glasses on that last one and Sherlock the shit out of why did he die. And so you're welcome. Uh, all the theories, the, the historicity, uh, all of that. Yeah. The atonement, all of it. Um, so go back and get that rousing rendition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end where we were like, but was it necessary? I'm not sure. But, but was it? <laughs> I was like, was it necessary? Did we need to go there? And I, and I was like, I kind of like Jesus' life. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's just more fun anyhow. Yeah. I mean, I thought his death was kind of in line with his life. And you were like, I don't know that his death was necessary at all. And yeah. We both, we both think that the notion of Jesus having to, having to have died for our sins is bollocks. <laughs> Laura's not allowed to curse on this podcast. <laughs> Sarah made me take out a swear jar. No. I did. <laughs> Every time she swears, she has to Venmo me one quarter. <laughs> modern problems, modern solutions. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. You're, a, you're a tech genius. 
That's how I do. So, um, so yeah, so we talk about, so we talked about that last episode and, um, and it's pretty good background for this episode. And, you know, I'm just sort of like over this question of like, did it actually happen? Cause I kind of want to be like, does it matter? It happened. I mean, like the story is the myth is regardless of whether or not it's true. That's the myth. That's what people believe. And so that's the story that we have to work with. Right. And regardless of whether or not it's true, I mean, just like with flat earth earthers, like you can have so much documented, obvious scientific fact and people will still deny it. So who cares? The story is what it is and we can interpret it as we do. Um, and it's still like really influential. I mean, super influential. And, um, and I guess my question is like, what do we do with it now? Like the resurrection is absolutely the thing that I like more just because we can make more of like, I think that there's a kinder, more ethical statement there. And there's more to be, more to be like, there's more value in the feminist community. I think from that, that piece of it the death is just kind of like very problematic you know what i mean and so from a feminist position from like feminist theology theological position it's definitely it's definitely like in my opinion the better part of the story does that make sense no i think that makes loads of sense and i really agree with that i think the resurrection is you know uh extremely important uh because of its interrelatedness to issues of justice and liberation. And I'm gonna kind of expound on that a little bit more the further we get into it, but I think it's pretty pretty crucial for liberation theology. And whenever you kind of, I don't know, really get into the meat of the story, it's it's kind, I think it's, I other Christians would disagree, but I think it's pretty a pretty crucial part of Jesus' story. That's nice. Um, so where we left the story jesus had died on the cross and according to the gospel of luke chapter 23 jesus cries out father into your hands i commend my spirit and dies after hanging on the cross for a few hours but in reality as we covered in the last episode it would have been a very gruesome slow death intended by the roman government to publicly embarrass torture and deter future similar crimes and probably the whole thing would have taken days right right and after jesus dies according to luke chapter 23 verse 50 a man known as joseph of arimathea asks Pilate for jesus body and takes jesus body down wraps it in a linen cloth and laid it in a rock hewn tomb where no one had ever been laid before and this occurred at the beginning of the jewish day of sabbath Luke notes that women, quote unquote, were there, and the Gospel of Matthew chapter 27 states that many women were also there looking on from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee and had provided for him. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Uh, It was a day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments to prepare the body as was customary at the time. So basically Jesus had a lot of female followers because in his ministry, he was, uh, we see that his ministry was funded by women uh, pretty, pretty frequently. 
And so he had a lot of female followers because his ministry included women. So uh, you see them kind of rallying around him at his death and the male, the male disciples had fled. They weren't really around anymore. Quick question. Yes. Why, 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 did, why did you quote, why did you put women in quotes in Luke notes that women? <laughs> Oh, oh, because it because he didn't say who. It was just women. And I was like, well, okay. I was totally, I was totally hearing that as like, mm, were they women or were, were they, they uh, were they old croons? He's like, I'd much rather it be dudes. <laughs> I like it. So-called so, sources say women. So-called. <laughs> we don't want to believe them because that would put women in a position of knowledge that wasn't first revealed to men. And that's, that's just. Yeah. The patriarchy is like, ooh, I don't know. Just old white <laughs> dudes being like, do we have to? And like, there's like that one dissenting voice and like the council of Nicaea who's like, but that's literally in the text. And they're like, do we really want to say that women were there? <laughs> we're like, I mean, it, it was there. We'll just, we'll just, don't worry. We'll, we'll clean it up later. We'll get spin <laughs> doctors on it. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to put comments in it in the word document. And then they're going to accidentally, uh, you know, just be like, agree with all. And then yeah. put in there and it's, it's done. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> a little, a little uh, Microsoft Word humor for you there. Yes. <laughs> Ooh, I wonder when the paperclip's gonna pop up and say, "It looks like you're writing, looks like you're writing a gospel." <laughs> um, that would be amazing. Right. That would be my favorite thing ever. Um, <laughs> according to Matthew chapter twenty-eight, after the Sabbath. After the Sabbath, why can I never actually say a word? After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning. It's in your head now. Is this, is this real language? Is this how people talk? It's just like 30,000 commas. Nobody says dawning. <laughs> this, is how, this is how, what, Greek is translated? Yeah. <laughs> Loads of commas. <laughs> Just like after comma the comma, um, so anyway, sorry guys. According to Matthew chapter twenty-eight, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, literally like every woman is named Mary in the first century of Palestine. So Mary and and her many gaggle of Marys, um, and went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. I like that he just matter-of-factly. Just like, <laughs> hey guys. I added that. I like the idea of just just plopping down and be like, look what I did. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like a um, Nope. I'm gonna back out. I'm just gonna back away from that joke. I'm like, it was a Disney character. He was sassy. He flew. Iago? <laughs> he flew? I don't know. Iago and, and Aladdin? <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good call. No, he was the main character. He had um, a pixie for a buddy who is like jealous of the girl in the story. Peter Pan? Peter Pan! <laughs> 
Doesn't that sound like a sassy thing Peter Pan would do? Just sit on a rock being like, hey guys. Hey guys. No, it sounds like something Iago would do. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Good. Now we're going to get sued by Disney. Um, uh, blah, blah, blah. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. Yeah, they, like they, the, the the like the guards actually are having like really serious seizures, and everybody's like, "Well, they're probably hosed." Um, right, became like dead men. Does that mean they froze, or does that mean they were just like, "I'm gonna start walking like I'm a zombie"? Well, they shook. So did they? Did, was it like electrocution where they like shake and then they like p- kind of pass out? Yeah, I feel like they shook and passed out. Like that's yeah. probably yeah. Okay. Okay. Suckers. <laughs> Stupid cowards. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but the angel said to the women who did not freak the fuck out and pass out, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Okay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has been raised from the dead, and indeed, he is, going, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message to you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Greetings. Greetings. <laughs> and like, I mean, maybe it's just like a modern take, but it seems super weird to me that they like started kissing his feet or they like got down and took hold of his feet. I feel like you would just like give him a hug. Right? Yeah. I mean, I wonder if that's because, so they had sort of thought he was the Messiah, right? Mm-hmm. So I think they think he's this king that's coming back to literally rule Israel. Yeah. I mean, that, that was kind of the expectation at the time. So I, I think they're like, oh, they're kind of showing huge deference to him. Yeah. Uh, versus now, like that wouldn't really be the cultural expectation. So if you see somebody you haven't seen before, you would totally give them a hug and be like, holy shit, how are you not dead? Right? And then I'd be like, greetings. <laughs> I, would st- I would stick with that as an opening line because that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to just start doing that, especially on Monday mornings when I go into work and see everybody. I'm going to be like, greetings. And they're going to be like, fuck you. <laughs> you be like, you have too much espresso. <laughs> be like, get yourself one. Get yourself a Nespresso. Seriously. Um, it's so good. Bible bitch is brought to you by Nespresso. No, just kidding. It is not. <laughs> Sarah just got a Nespresso and she's all about it. It's so good, you guys. It's it, Every time I make myself espresso, I... I smile a little bit to myself and then I very like smugly drink my little latte being all like, "Mm, I've made a good choice. I've made a good choice. choice. Um, (laughs) Sucks the environment. Just kidding. They have a recycling program. Go on. There is very environmentally friendly. Um, And this is, okay. So this whole greetings ending with um, the uh, angel of the Lord coming and you know saying don't be afraid uh to the women go go tell the disciples 
Um, that's a bit different. Uh, that occurred in Matthew. So this is a bit different from the other account in Luke chapter 27, which states, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found a stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men, not one, in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words and returned, returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven, the ele meaning the eleven disciples, and to all the rest, the rest of his followers. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seem to them an idle tale and they did not believe them because women folk am i right so right they don't know anything apparently um but women got up and ran or but peter got up and ran to the tomb i guess the only one that believed them stooping and looking in he, he saw the linen clothes by themselves and then he went home amazed at what had happened so he finds that the tomb is empty and that the women weren't just you know playing a horrible prank like why would they do dudes misogyny it's just it's not it's not efficient it's not even efficient <laughs> also can we just agree that the two angels in this story are siegfried and roy like that's oh my 100 for sure i am never gonna look at this the same way like i'm just gonna imagine it's siegfried and roy and they've got a tiger beside of them <laughs> yeah also i couldn't think of their name offhand so i just googled guys with a tiger and <laughs> that's what came up I was like, that's it. Did the hangover come up first? You were like, <laughs> no. you were like Zach Galifianakis. What came up first? You were like um, Zach Galifianakis and Ed Helm. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tigers of Tinder is actually what came up first. Which, now I kind of want to click on that, but that's for a later. That's for what a later is Tigers story. of Tinder? <laughs> for a later story. That's for me later in the quiet of night. Um, <laughs> and our listeners to Google by themselves. <laughs> so my personal favorite is the original ending of Mark in the first in the first few editions. So is it my is it my personal favorite? Just kidding. Um, but of course, huh? it is. It's gonna be now. It's gonna be now. <laughs> 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 Will you read anything on a teleprompter like like uh, Anchorman? Because I need. <laughs> yes, that would be. That's I. Yes, yes. I'm basically just a puppet. <laughs> <laughs> this whole podcast is just you with like a marionette doll. Or wait, what is the one with the hand? Uh, a puppet. No, you talking outside of your mouth. Oh, a ventriloquist. Oh, I'm your ventriloquist puppet? That's yeah. so creepy. I'm so upset with this. Like, now tell me what's your personal favorite, Sarah. Well, my personal favorite is mine. <laughs> <laughs> but my personal favorite is the original ending of Mark. Um, <laughs> but for real, I'm going to own it because I didn't change it earlier in the script. 
But my personal favorite is the original ending of Mark in the first few editions. So according to James Tabor in the Biblical Archaeology, in an article titled, The Strange Ending of the Gospel of, Bar of Mark and Why It All Makes a Difference. Like the other three Gospels, Mark recounts the visit of Mary Magdalene and her companions to the tomb of Jesus early Sunday morning. Upon arriving, they find the blocking stone at the entrance of the tomb removed and a young man, notice not an angel, notice not an angel, because that's not going to sound wise, that's not going to pick up, um, and a young man, notice not an angel, tells them, do not be alarmed, you seek Jesus of Nazareth. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> you seek Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb. From trembling and astonishment, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing. Mark 16, 6 to 8. And that was it. That was like the end, the original end of Mark. They were like terrified. I, also, I like that the guy in there is giving them a tour of the tomb. See the place where they laid him. He <laughs> he's got like a little red flag on a stick and he's like, and he's like, all right, all right, folks, we got to move it along. We got to move it along. Now you'll see here, nobody, nobody. There's some linen. Look at the linens. Take some photos of the linens. We're going, we're going, we're going. <laughs> Keep up, keep up, keep up. <laughs> Make room for everybody. <laughs> um, I also like that that's it. They just flee in terror, basically. That's that's the end of Mark, the original ending. Um, <laughs> it's like the original ending of Veronica Mars, equally unsatisfying. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of like, oh, that's it? That's all there is? Okay. Uh, so this author, Tabor, goes on to state, the original ending of Mark was viewed by later Christians as so deficient that not only was Mark placed second in order in the New Testament, but various endings were added by editors and copyists and some manuscripts to try to remedy things. So they have something that kind of sort of got switched around. The ending of Mark got fleshed out a little bit more. So it's a little bit more satisfying. But those first editions, it was just like, and they fled in terror. The end. Just like they did with that uh, Veronica Mars movie that was not satisfactory. Mm -hmm. Sarah does not like it. I still haven't seen it. I, it's you know what? It's it's okay. Don't not worry. About it. Okay. Yeah. Should, okay. 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 It's fine. It's fine. Um, apparently, I'm a big Veronica Mars fan. Yeah. I have opinions about I don't that. Want to get up in her hackles? That's. I don't even know if that's is that is that the get Hackle. her hackles up. Get her hackles up. Talk about the Veronica Mars movie. That's not, you know, I know that that's not sexual, but somehow it sounds very sexual. <laughs> Somebody's got Sarah's hackles up. <laughs> I gotta clean up my mind. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> um, honestly, we're not even going to talk about the book of John, because in terms of chronology, Mark was probably written first about 40 years after Jesus's death, and then Matthew and Luke second about 10 to 20 years after Mark, and both used Mark as a source, along with another still not found document of Jesus's sayings by, histori by, by historians simply known as Q. So there's this Q resource that historians, like if you look at the four gospels, there 
there's like a clear reference to some other source and they've labeled that source Q, but we have never actually found that source. Anyways, so they're all referencing Mark and Q and John, who's like 40 years after this. So like a comfortable, like 90 to hundred years after all of this happened. Um, he comes along and has more to say about the community that wrote it rather than the historical significance of Jesus. So it would be me, it would be like me writing down uh, what happened in World War I. I don't really know a whole lot about World War I. I always kind of get it confused uh, with some happenings in World War II. And I'm, I'm sure John was maybe better at that and, and relied a little bit more on oral tradition. And if you didn't have things like the internet, then oral tradition would be more important. But, you know, there's some stuff there where if, if you're trying to write a firsthand account a hundred years after there's, there's problems. There's yeah. some factual errors. Yeah. Um, yeah. You just can't get the full picture. You really can't. Uh, so to recap, women were there to prepare Jesus's dead body with spices and all three books agree and so, that someone was there, an angel or human of unknown origin, saying the tomb was empty and the women were astonished and or scared. Why do you think that they tried to make the person seem angelic? To give, to give it more, like, spiritual credence? Assuming that that's what happened. Well, if, they, first, if the first account is saying that it's just, like, some dude hanging out there, and then it gets later translated into, like, one angel and then two angels, and they're beautiful. Yeah, right? So, like, that, yeah. So you've got Mark saying it's basically uh, a human tour guide. And <laughs> you've got... <laughs> You've got one angel in, uh, what is it? One angel uh, in Matthew and two angels in Mark. Right. Um, sorry, one angel in Matthew and two angels in Luke. Yes. There's definitely a sense of this is getting more and more uh, elevated, right? Uh, Embellished. I, I kind of like the human tour guide. <laughs> that one tickles me. I like, it's like, as you'll, if you'll see here, you'll see here. <laughs> They're wearing like a very prim suit and it's all very above board. Yes. <laughs> Next stop is the Louvre. Um, okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, and the gospels go on to have various sightings of Jesus's, of Jesus afterwards. Um, according to Luke 24, Jesus just appears to the disciples and they totally freak out. Um, like full pause. Can you, oh, okay. Like full pause. Can you imagine if this is true, how terrified you would be? Uh, I would be so perplexed. Can you imagine if you're just like hanging out with your buds and then all of a sudden this guy who you like definitely know is dead and like witnessed at least part of his torture and murder. And, and then he's like, hey guys, what's up? What's up? I would definitely shit my pants. I mean, I would shit my pants. I like, I really hope that in one of the drafts, like in a draft of Luke that didn't make it, it says, and Peter shitteth his breeches. <laughs> and then at Nancy, they were like, we can't, no, this is not, we can't. That's unclean. <laughs> it's, it's too unclean. We gotta take this out. Yeah. The optics just don't look good. 
that's the one I would believe the most if it was like, and then Peter shit his breeches. Yeah. <laughs> and I would like, that's the true account. <laughs> that's the we're, we're all drunk on wine, on like vinegary wine. <laughs> and uh, then Jesus strolled up, and we're all like, fuck, dude. You could like totally put your hand right through that crazy hole in his wrist. What? And Thomas pukes like Thomas is like doubting Thomas is like this isn't real. And Jesus like is like put your put your finger in my nail hole, and then he does that and vomits. Jesus is like Jesus is like use my armhole as a funnel for the wine. I just grossed out myself. Half the, half the disciples were like, that's rad. And then the other half was just like vomiting and shitting their pants. Mm-hmm. Like, that was such a wild party. Yeah. It's, it's just a frat house. It's just like Sigma Chi on a Tuesday. Or, you know, our divinity school experience. <laughs> we were very chaste and well-behaved. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We need to re we need to uh we need to uh like reframe that narrative. Mm-hmm. We were chaste and well behaved. I don't know what you consider to be ill behaved, but we were very well behaved. Yeah. We you know, we very much enjoyed uh the spirits of the Lord. We did enjoy the spirit of the Lord. In the form of you know, uh the spirit. His own spirit. The spirit of the earth. The spirit of bourbon. The spirit of bourbon. The spirit of spirits. Yeah, you know. <laughs> the spirit of a lot of beer, a lot of sheep beer. Spirit of, of a couple of good Dominican cigars. <laughs> <laughs> um, P.S. Yeah. This is totally an aside and we need to get back on topic, but I found out last night. So like, you know, Scotch Club dudes. Yeah. And I should just, like, assume that they're all wealthy. I mean, I have no idea. They're just, like, regular dudes. Yeah. Um, but uh, I was hanging out with one of my Scotch Club buddies, and he was like, yeah, Bino, Bino is actually, like, one of the, like, was on the ground floor of Citrix. You know Citrix, like Citrus, Citrix Receiver? Mm-mm. It's this really, really, like, commonly nationally, probably internationally used, uh, like, VPN connection. Wow. Do you know VPN? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've 100% used it in jobs before. And, and yeah. And, um, London was like, yeah, he's like a multimillionaire. <laughs> like, I was like, what? You should, uh, forward him the knowledge, uh, about our, uh, how he can donate and become an honorary Bible. Yeah. Bitch. I'm like, hey, Vienna, what's up? I don't want to give you anything. But, uh, uh, you know, well, you can give him access to our awesome movers. <laughs> yes. Which you can get on our Patreon account. And actually, thank you for reminding me because I definitely forgot about that for our last episode. <laughs> so I'll need to do that. That's cool. Note to self. Bloops. Bloops and bleeps. Okay. Um,. So, uh, so yeah. So, Jesus, huh? 
Jesus is like appearing to the disciples out, right. of, out of nowhere in Luke. Yeah. Um, so Jesus and says, so Jesus then says, yeah, sure. <laughs> so, so Jesus is like, he like shows up, he just like saunters up to his disciples and he's all, why are you so frightened? And why do you doubt? Arise in your heart. And why does doubt? Why are you so frightened? And why does doubt arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate in their presence. Gross. Gross. You don't want a piece of broiled fish, Sarah? <laughs> Gross. That sounds disgusting. Like, that sounds disgusting. Because, <laughs> you know, it was like, totally unseasoned. They just had, like, salt and, I don't know, dirt. <laughs> Salty, dirty, broiled fish is good. Uh, so to recap, Jesus is like, why are you scared of seeing me, zombie Jesus, walk around? Uh, you can totally touch me uh, and my scars. And also, do you have any leftover pizza? Because resurrection really takes the wind out of you. It kind of does. It kind of does. I, I mean, does. from my experience, it's just kind of hard, you know? Every time it gets a little bit harder. It takes, a, you know, if I know anything about resurrection, then it's it's from Game of Thrones. And it does. It takes it takes a lot out of you every time you do it. <laughs> it does. It does. Um, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah in the Messianin? Messianin? I I I think these are like footnotes or something from the word oh. I copied. Okay. okay, good deal. Um Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning with beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnessing all of these things, and I see, and see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, so lots of... That's, that's a lot to take in, right? So he's like, this was how it was written. You're going to witness some heavy shit and I'm going to send you some, some signs and then you're going to be clothed with power. And then he leads them as far as the town of Bethany and he blesses them. And then Luke says, while he was blessing them, meaning Jesus, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. Uh, can I just say that would be like the most lit church service ever after? They're like, did you just see what happened? We had this massive kegger with Jesus and then went out and, you know. Ate some broiled fish. <laughs> broiled fish. He was like, you're about to see some heavy shit. And then he like rose up to heaven. And then they're like, oh man, let's go. Let's go sing some songs and like go to church. Yeah. Also, this whole statement about, um, you know, proclaiming, proclaiming his name to all nations. Um, that's like one of the that's that's how sort of evangelism evangelicalism 
like that's one of their kind of primary tenets is, is this command. And then also the, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. That actually gets used later by Christian churches to, um, to like, uh, what's the word? To kind of justify their belief in the end times and the idea that Jesus will come back at some point in that millennial, that seven year reign, right? Mm -hmm. So like, so I'm just saying that like these, like that statement itself has a lot of influence in what a lot of like modern denominations have come to be. And so just a, just an FYI. And it's extrapolating a whole lot from that for, for people to say that because they're basically taking that plus like revelation and really just go into town on it. <laughs> but I mean, like, that's all it is. It's just pure, just yeah. crazy speculation. Yes, it is. It is. And uh, yeah, this this just seems... Yeah, it seems like it must have been, like, insanely epic, but, uh, and they're just, like, having this amazing experience. So, in Luke's version, the women run and tell the disciples, and Peter sees the empty tomb and is surprised, right? So, that, that was Luke's version that we just covered, and then everything happened, where this kind of, they get together, they, they eat broiled fish, and, you know, Jesus goes up to heaven, slow-mo, and they worship afterwards. So that was Luke's version. In Matthew 28, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it, right? Peter Pan um, <laughs> or Iago. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guard shook and became like dead men, right? But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus uh, who was crucified. He is not here. He has been raised, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go and tell the disciples. He has been raised from the dead. And indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they leave the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran and tell the disciples. And then suddenly Jesus met them and says, greetings, greetings. And they came to him to call to his feet and worship him. Then Jesus says to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. <laughs> Can we just go back to this whole, greetings! I love it, I love it so much. <laughs> greetings! <laughs> I don't know, I mean, I don't know how, like what the most appropriate way to say hello was back then, but it seems like this like, all caps, greetings! Is just like, mm, is that right? Is that the best way to introduce yourself to people who think you're dead? I'm just saying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyways, and like, and so, and then there's a bit of a conspiracy about, or a bit about, there's a bit about a possible conspiracy where the Roman guards and the priests are like, mm, look, let's just say you fell asleep and his body got stolen by his followers. Um. Right, this is kind of the sense of, okay, so the body's gone, the Romans are going to be like, eh, let's just say that his followers stole it, and that's going to that's gonna get rid of any sort of speculation, right? So in terms of what could have happened, that's what, that's what the Romans are, that's probably the story they're going with, right? That the body got stolen by his followers. Um, and so the disciples uh, and Jesus all, this is in the Matthew version, they all go to a mountain outside of Galilee, 
And Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So in Christianity, this has been called the great commissioning, kind of what Sarah was talking about, the sort of evangelical view um, of, of going out and, and baptizing and, and sort of evangelizing and making more followers uh, in Christianity. And that some of that is okay. Some of that is not okay, right? Because if it's just like, oh, hey, I'm a Christian, whatever. But it's been used to justify a lot of colonialism. Um, the sense of I'm going to bring the one, uh, the one truth that exists on earth to you, another culture, uh, and you're going to have to accept it, which means it's messy because that basically means not only because that sort of got co-opted into Roman and then kind of the British empire later on. So there's like Rome and then there was sort of the Western powers and then uh, Britain, great Britain kind of went out, England went out and, and colonized a lot of the world. And they did that a lot of times in the name of Jesus. And that meant that wherever they went, they were doing they were bringing their own culture with them. So not only were they baptizing in the name of Jesus, whatever that means, right, for them, they were also saying you had to be a certain way in order to be Jesus' disciple, which basically just meant however you were in that given time. So, you know, we're going to wear bodices and we're going to wear petticoats and we're going to, that's that's because that's what Christians do in the 1600s, right? That's It's very culturally... Uh, you know, they would kind of force people to wear the dresses that they would wear. So it's very culturally bound. Is that, is that fair to say, Sarah? Like it's, it's uh, people's idea of faith, especially when it comes to this idea of missions or that, that kind of intermesh with colonialism. There was this sense that it was almost um, that Christianity also meant that the culture that they were coming from was Christian. So everything about it was was holy and christian so you have to be like us in every possible way or else you're going to go to hell right yeah um i mean yeah for sure and i mean there's there so there's a lot of there's a lot of conversation about ethical tourism going on in the last i want to say like 15 years about that same kind of idea where the western western societies have had such an influence on other societies and it's and it's become an issue and blah 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 I really kind of want to do an episode on this at some point. Like, yeah, I think that there's a lot there. I mean, like, yeah. in my own experience, I there have definitely been some, some like, experiences from my past that I, like, cringe at now because I'm like, oh, my God, that was colonialism. Like, um, and just so fucking weird. Like, so when I was in junior high, a friend of mine's grandfather was, like, a missionary to Mexico. Okay. And he, we, what we did, what essentially like what ended up happening. And I guess he would do this with other groups, but he took a group of us, like me and my sister and our friend and her sister. And then like some other people all down to uh Juarez, Mexico. And um, yeah, this is like a little bit before it got, crazy down there um I remember we couldn't go the next year because it was too dangerous but 
So like we go down to Juarez, Mexico to um, like preach the gospel to these people. We don't know their language. We're super white. We have no idea. And, um, and it was just, it was so, it was just so wrong. Like we, we went out and like quote unquote preached to people, I think like two nights. And what that consisted of was us going to these like kind of like their version of tent cities, which were just these like huge communities, huge communities, enormous communities of people living in cardboard boxes. Like it was, I had, I had no like concept of it then. Like I was just kind of like these, this is like, everybody was nice and like seemed normal. So I just like, chilled with it but now I'm like wow I was not understanding the gravity of that situation and what they did was what we did I can't distance myself from it because I was there um what we did was put up the the Jesus film do you know that film no the Jesus film is a uh like all mime like no there's no words involved it's all just like music and miming like acting out the death and resurrection of Jesus so that's like specifically for evangelism, like cross, I guess, cross-culturally. Cross-culturally, yeah, because none of us knew the language. Right. And then and then like at the end, her grandfather, I don't know, did some sort of like call, like call to the cross or kind of deal. But, but you know, it, it just, it just stinks of that same deal with prosperity gospel where these people are looking for anything and we just blow right in and, um, do some sightseeing and come in there and show them a video and then we leave and they're left in exactly the same position. And it seems it's so wrong. It's so wrong. Like we didn't do anything to actually help them. Which is, and it's, it's so interesting to you because I feel like, uh, this we'll kind of get into this in a little bit, but the sense of, uh, Jesus being poor, right? Jesus was poor and oppressed. And so the sense of, you know, people that are coming in in kind of a colonial missions model, because you're, you're, you're one of many who's had, who had that experience, yeah. especially, you know, as a youth kind of getting swept up in it, you don't really have much of a choice. Mm-hmm. But the sense of I'm bringing God to you, God wasn't already here, is that is sort of that model but the yeah. reality like G- I, I feel like Jesus would say like Jesus is already there and you know Jesus constantly was preaching against the rich and the you know the people that were in power and so it's really ironic right because it's this total flip of you know kind of a a rich person coming in and being like no I have the answer no really I, I do and which Jesus would be like what are you doing right like yeah. That's, yeah, totally. Like that's, you know, regardless of, of what we think about Jesus' divinity, his socioeconomic status would inform a whole lot about what he would say about that situation. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it, yeah, it's, fr- I mean, yeah. it's frustrating. It's, it's, it's frustrating because, because like, it's like, it's not like, I, I genuinely do not think that any but any of those adults involved were doing this for anything other than kindness. Like they really thought that this was the right thing to do. Yep. Um, but it's just so 
it's just so tone deaf, you know? Yeah, no, if they, I mean, they truly believe because the church is telling them, like, you have to go save souls, that they're trying to do the kindest thing they can. And that's what's by trying to save souls. And that's, that's the, that's the dangerous thing about all this, like, atonement stuff is that it it puts us in the role of, it makes us into gods because it's, it's saying that it's somehow up to us. Uh, It's other people's salvation is somehow contingent on us. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, that's real sketch. It's well, and such, a, and such a narrow, narrow definition of what it means to be "quote unquote" saved. Mm-hmm. Um, that you have to be, that you have to be like Protestant Christian. I mean, I remember growing up. I never, at no point, growing up, not even. I think I like not even through college did I ever consider Catholics to be Christian, which is insane. You know what I mean? Like, that's ridiculous. But that's just like, that was the narrative that was given to me. And I didn't know anything about it. And also part of the narrative is like, you know, trust God and don't seek out a lot of knowledge. So like, uh, it's problematic. Don't question the Bible, Sarah. Don't question it. I would, you know what? I would never. And I just, so I just like dipped out. <laughs> you're like yeah i'm gone and this is not like so long suck town <laughs> <laughs> just kidding sorry yeah totally not like um i i i want to just because we're on it and like i know we need to get back to the script but like um what you said about the kind of hubris or whatever of being in that position it reminded me of one of the books that we read in divinity school was uh by Ted Peters on the theology. And he said, one cannot even say that the true aim of the self is its own salvation for even the pursuit of salvation only furthers is, further establishes the self as center and ensures its own perdition. Salvation is experienced only by those who have ceased to be interested in whether or not they are personally saved because these, these have given themselves over completely to the spirit of the whole. So the sense of like, we're all interconnected and we need to be working for, for the good of one another in a sense of love versus this weird transactional bullshit that, yeah, like whatever, whatever salvation means. And there's a lot of intangibles with that. I don't feel like it can be this simplistic and wow. Like it's just. Yeah. And actually like, I would love to do a whole episode on like what that means Mm -hmm. Um, because I have a lot of, questions and thoughts on like love for the other and love for the self and when is one when is one more noble than the other when is one more ethical than the other but that's that's a that's a long conversation for another time (laughs) we have we're gonna be doing this for 10 full years before we get through our whole list that's true so so many things so many things all right so uh so we're we're well into yeah let's get, right? let's get back into it let's move into the resurrection um jesus was resurrected as a spirit but not bodily he just appears to them so is he some kind of ghost instead he says greetings instead of boo <laughs> maybe, maybe you know what maybe greetings is the old timey boo <laughs> right. So, so right. Maybe. So, right. So that's that. You know, did he? So that's that's one view. Like 
he was re- resurrected a spirit not by body um but then he's also like hey look at my hands and see the scars drink wine through my no that's awful but it's <laughs> and they are they are touching they're touching him right so he's in some sense of physical form so if we're going to take these accounts at face value it seems like the gospels are painting a picture of bodily resurrection resurrection imbued with some sort of special divine power right so there's a sense of bodily and spirit together in one p.s um last summer i bought a pair of slides uh that kept like that kept like a rubbing on the top of my foot and causing like little blisters and um like bloody spots you know like it would just wear the skin off and so then i would go into work and be like hey guys look i got stigmata (laughs) (laughs) are you jesus (laughs) and they're all like we didn't grow up in a crazy religious cult okay so like back the fuck off and i'm like Okay, sure. reason 579, why you need to move back to Louisville, because everyone would get that joke here. Because <laughs> it's hilarious. Right? We'll be like, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> Getting back to the actual story. Um, if we go back to Mark, to the original ending of Mark, the tomb is empty and the women flee in terror, so we're not really sure what to do with it. Did the, like, did the Romans move his body? Did he, did his followers take it and concoct a plan? I mean, like, what's the, what's the story around the Shroud of Turin? Ooh, can I add that to the list? <laughs> yeah, because yes, 100%. You can add um, to the list. I love that, right? So the Shroud of Turin, if you don't know, is, um, it's a, a cloth that's held in a museum in Turin, Italy, and it's, uh, it's got the image of Christ burned into it and there's differing accounts on how old it is and is it the, the original cloth that Jesus was buried in. Um, so yeah, it's got an, an image that looks like Christ burned into it. So yeah, so the, the question is, did, did his followers take the body and then concoct this story? You know, that, that would be the Roman version of what happened. Did, or did Jesus re- become resurrected in some sort of bodily or spiritual form right these are kind of your options of of what of what might have happened and sidebar uh if you are more interested in the topic and don't want to watch the passion of christ or whatever by mel gibson because jesus why would you want to it's anti-semitic melodramatic and insert satan at random points it's Literally, like, the only thing I liked about this movie at all was just hearing dead languages in it. I'm like, oh, Aramaic. That's fun. Everything else is awful. Don't do it. Um, Nerd alert. (laughs) I love hearing Aramaic. It's fun. Dead languages. Um, Yeah. So stay away from Mel Gibson and The Passion of Christ. It's not good. It's not good. All right, Uh, figure tits. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Yeah, I'll, I'll stop inserting. Go on. Okay. Uh, and then, so I'd like to recommend a movie called Risen. Uh, it stars Joseph uh, Fine. Joseph Fine? Is that how you say it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, as a soldier. And Tom Felton, a.k.a. Draco Malfoy, uh, is in it. Um, it. Will you say that whole, like, then I'd like, because you sort of, like, say Joseph Fines as a question. So will you okay. just say the whole thing over? Then I'd like to recommend Risen. Uh, it's a movie that stars Joseph Fine 
uh, as a soldier and Tom Felton, AKA Draco Malfoy from Harry Potter, right? Uh, it casts uh, the Romans um, as the actual historical bad guys, which they were, so it's not anti-Semitic. And they are looking, uh, the Joseph Fiennes is this kind of soldier that's sort of searching for the body of Jesus because there's a whole lot of questions around what's going on, why, why can't we find his body? And a sort of spiritual whodunit. As a progressive Christian, it's nice to see a movie that touches on these themes is somewhat historically accurate because we kind of narrow go into some faith territory near the end. And it isn't awful, right? I'm pretty sure the last time that happened was Prince of Egypt, the cartoon movie in the late 90s. So I I rented it on a whim because I was like, Draco's in a movie. What? Come on, Draco. And then I was like, this ain't half bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so I guess like my question now is like what do we do with this like what do we do with these stories now um I mean I have some opinions I've been, like feminist theology about this kind of topic and and Mary Magdalene specifically because she was the sort of the ringleader I guess of the women who supposedly went to the tomb but, uh, and we're going to, thankfully, we're going to do a whole deep dive into Mary Magdalene. I love oh. her. Um, oh, my God. Can we talk about, um, oh, my gosh, what's the, the, I'm like, why am I blanking on this? The book that was written, The Da Vinci Code. Oh. Uh, she plays, like, a really huge role in that. Like, I feel like every, like, no, nobody wanted to talk about Mary Magdalene, and then The, the Da Vinci Code came out, and it was like, Mary Magdalene! <laughs> I have n- I have no idea why I haven't read that. That seems exactly like the trans novel I would like. It, 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 okay, so it is, it is, it's almost like he tried to sell it, the author tried to sell it as somewhat historically accurate, but he had four sources for the entire book and they were all like, the, it's the book equivalent of like a, uh, you know how the History Channel is just trash now and it's like got those like alien shows on it? It's like he used the, the book equivalent of those for sources. Yeah. So um, the book is just utter trash, but it's so, it's good trash. Like you read it, it's like, it's a good beach read if you like uh, religious conspiracies. So I, I highly recommend it, but don't read it as history, people. It's not. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, 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 no. It's a lot of fun though. Um, but like what so what do we do with it now as like how do we interpret this resurrection story now in ways that can be useful for the community and I mean like I want to reiterate that I get to just be the onlooker who's like "Mm, I'm just going to criticize outside the bubble um (laughs) Every time I, every time I like respond, can you just say, does it or is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what? You know what wouldn't get old real fast? Any of that. That would just be, that would just stay fresh all the time. hundred <laughs> percent. No, but you know, I think that's why, but I do think that the like atheist agnostic viewpoint is important because that way if for some reason we all happen to have this like uh you know sort of fully ado like this kind of just you know uh giant cognitive lapse and we're all like you know you know what christianity should believe this giant bullshit thing that you all can be like 
is that is that, is that you know right which is like why it doesn't matter to me if any of these stories are actually true right. regardless of whether or not they're true the myth is still there and the myth has been there the narrative has been there for centuries it has influenced so many parts of the world. I mean, so many parts of just history, of politics, um, how religion has formed and evolved, fucking colonial colonialization. Like America would not be here without without differing opinions about these these stories, right? Mm-hmm. It's yep. crazy what these stories have have influenced. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it doesn't really do – I don't really know what the point would be to try to, like, prove or disprove it. Um, but at this point, I'm just trying to figure out a way to talk about this and, you know, try to, like, sort of tease out something that can be positive for women um, in this day and age. Mm-hmm. The, the, um, the death part – is super problematic. We talked about that last time. The violence, the martyrdom, that kind of stuff. Don't love it. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of interesting, like a lot of feminist theology focus on the resurrection in their Christology because there is, you know, there's a lot of like elements with the body as political, like he sacrifices his body, but he isn't dead. Um and it and it's like a political statement that he sacrifices the body, but then it's also a political statement when he like resurrects. It's a political statement that women are the first ones to see who aren't afraid. It's um you know there's a lot of like female imagery in the tomb and him being raised again because it's like a rebirth kind of situation. Um, so I think that there's some interesting symbolic statements there. Um, and it's all about the injustice, right? The whole, like the, like what you talk about with the liberation theology is very like on point and parallel and intersected with feminist theology on that point. In so far as like all of this story is meant to be a political statement against the injustice of the governing authorities of the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and like the governing religious authorities, the political authorities, the like all of these different societies or like societal powers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so, like that's just kind of a really high level way of of talking about it. I, w- I mean, I would love to get into it more, um, but we just kind of like we just kind of got to do this. We've got to do the setup first before we can get into like later episodes where we can be like hey reference back to this episode if you want to know the backstory and now we can talk about in depth blah 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 exactly and i think um i like that you said that everything was basically political right feminist theology would say everything's political right the body's political like so many different aspects are political and i think that's true here jesus body is political like that that in one way i i think connects jesus experience to women in that his body is so politicized what happens to his body is very politicized and in this day and age women's bodies are very politicized what we can and can't do with them what people think about them um so jesus body and the way it's examined in death is incredibly political 
Uh, Jesus, and therefore, Jesus' resurrection is also incredibly political. What does it mean? The fact that people, you know, his actual crime we talked about in the last episode was um, that people thought he was the king of the Jews, right? The Messiah. And so it would have been considered treason um, to Rome that he was declaring himself a king. So this sense of what is it, what, what, what does, what is a Messiah, right? Because in, in that time and place, it would have meant a person who has the political, uh, is taking on the political role of an earthly king of Israel. And so there were a lot of expectations around Jesus that did and didn't happen, right? This sense of, if you believe in the resurrection, okay, he fulfilled it and maybe uh, for the contingent that came to be Christians, he fulfilled that in a different way. And current, you know, Jews currently would say he did not because he did not fulfill that that role, that historic role of Messiah, right? Um, I think that I tend to think the view that the resurrection had to happen um, in as, and I'm I'm saying that for myself as this is this is one of those things where. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to use an Indiana Jones reference because I'm so nervous uh, about like how to, how to phrase this. And I like, I just, I love, I'm such a nerd and I like to just always punt back to there. So like, I, I, I think that part where he says, uh, he's, is uh, the, the last crusade, right? So the last crusade, uh, he's in the part where he's trying to make it to get to the Holy Grail and get the water to go to, from the Holy Grail to save his dad's life because his, his, the Nazis have shot his dad, right? And so uh, the last challenge is the leap from the lion's den. And only, uh, only in the leap uh, can he prove his worth or something. And it's the sense of a leap of faith. He, he, he knows he has to do the leap of faith, right? I think this is the leap of faith for me. And in, in, uh, do I believe that the resurrection, I, for me, for me, it hinges on the resurrection. For other people, it doesn't. This is, I think everybody kind of centers their faith in a different aspect of Christianity. For me, it's, it's the resurrection because, and I, in, if you had to pin me down at different points on where I centered my faith, I would tell you different things. And, but currently I think I've, I've got it centered around the resurrection. So as a white person born in America in the 21st century, I kind of have won the lottery in a lot of ways, right? I've had it pretty good. I've not had to deal with the plague uh, or racial profiling or scurvy. So that's awesome. And antibiotics exist, even though I'm allergic to most of them. Um, <laughs> So overall, even though we live in a patriarchal rape culture, it's still better than it has been for women in any previous century. My point being, if there is no resurrection or afterlife, me personally, I will have had a decent run on planet Earth, right? That, uh, you know, I, I, will have, I will have had a, a better experience maybe in terms of chances or privilege than most people. But that, but then I have to think about what about victims of genocide, racial violence, violence against women that have had it worse than me, slavery, war crimes, etc. Like these victims did not have it as good as me. And so I feel like justice has to happen for them somewhere, somehow. And there's got to be some relationship between this world and the next, the kingdom of God on earth and in heaven in order to make that happen. So whatever happens here matters, whatever ever happens there matters. And so like for me, if, if, if someone, if someone was able, I don't know, if I had some sort of 
I don't even know how someone would ever prove the existence of God or not. Like I, I kind of laugh whenever there's a debate about it. I'm like, what's the point of that? That's not, it's not a definable thing. But if, if, if God didn't exist, um, would I have a bit of an existential crisis? Sure. But would I be okay? Yeah. Like, but I don't know that that's true for, uh, for a lot of people, right? A, a lot of people who are, who are shat on by people of privilege. So. Right. So I guess my question to you, and it doesn't, it's not to you. It's just sort of like, it's just like harking. It's just like that, that like burr and macraw that I can't get around. Um, it's got your hackles up. It's got my hackles up. <laughs> and it's that like, does it, does it matter? Does it matter if somebody gets justice in a different life or a different realm or whatever? Does that matter? Because on, in this life, in this moment, they are suffering and there's no reason or cause for it. And it's fully unjust in the moment. And there's no, like, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? I mean, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I think it does matter. Like if they get justice in another realm or but, another dimension or another, but doesn't another, that assume, like, doesn't that assume that in that other dimension we'll have the same, like at least the same level of consciousness that we do now? Maybe. Um, I, I don't know. I think that's presupposing some stuff, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think whatever, however, there's a sense of relation between this world and the next that, or multiple worlds, um, and levels as, as like Buddhism would put, because I, I, I tend to think that we have one piece of the puzzle and not the whole puzzle. Um, I'm not someone who feels like this is that I've got it right and no one else does. So, you know, uh, so maybe there's multiple levels like in Buddhism, but I tend to think that there's got to be some relation, some relation between this world and the next. And we have to work hard here as well, because it can't just be like, oh, justice doesn't happen until then. And so we've got to give up. That's not the answer because real people are suffering on earth. Animals are suffering on earth. Creation is suffering on earth. And I think if you take the scripture seriously and we are to be good stewards of the earth, then that is a huge moral dilemma. Like we should, nobody should be suffering. No creature should be suffering. The earth shouldn't be suffering. And so we have to, in whatever relationship between this world and the next, we have to work to make it better because Jesus continues to use throughout the, the New Testament, this sense of like the kingdom of earth and heaven in this are just interconnected and interrelated and they're so close together. And some people interpret that all is just like, oh, the whole time he's talking about heaven and some other realm. And I don't think that's true. I think there's, I think they're really close together. And I, I think I solidified that viewpoint more when I, whenever I learned more about African religions and how there's this sense of, you know, we, we would talk about the cloud of witnesses, like people that have gone before us and, and, you know, you know, on All Saints Day, that's what we would celebrate and kind of talk about relatives who have died or whatever. But for them, it's this real tangible, like ancestor worship, right? Like there, there's people that have died before you and you can still learn things from them. And there's this, this tangible interaction. And I, I think, uh, 
from what we know so far culturally, they are the original, I, the original people, right? The original source in Africa. And so I tend to always want to kind of be like, what's African religion say? Because that's, we, if, if that's where we originally evolved, like there is some sense of, of intense wisdom that comes out of that. And so I'm always like, well, what's going on over there? So I think there's this really amazing wisdom about this transactional thing between the people that have come before us and now. So it's all still related in ways that I think we don't really understand. And I think because there's such mysteries that we don't even understand about between our, uh, our dimension and other dimensions that there's just, there's just so much we don't know. And that's why we have to work for justice because here, because we don't really understand whatever comes next or in another realm or whatever. So we've got to work as hard as we can with the hope that resurrection is real and that justice will happen for these people in another realm, but it doesn't excuse our duty here. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I still don't, I still don't agree. Like I'm still not convinced. I mean, just stubbornly like digging my heels and kind of the I don't expect you. I mean, I wouldn't expect you to, if you were like, right on, I'd be like, what? (laughs) You're like, Oh, you've studied this enough. Like, how is this the, this is the thing. that? (laughs) Okay. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just, I just have a lot of questions. It's not that I, it's not that I don't believe in the possibility. Obviously I do. I'm agnostic. Right. But anything if I get to keep any like piece of this subconscious consciousness, whatever my, I want it to be a question of like, a question of like, why, why is this, why is this good? Why is any of this good? Mm. It's not, it doesn't seem good. It doesn't seem just or kind that I get to be born into a very good life a life where I've never needed to be to like worry about anything um when other people are born into constant trauma just Mm -hmm. constant trauma Mm -hmm. um I mean and and we'll get into that in our episode much much later where we talk about like our personal stories whatever but I want to have I don't have how do I say it? I don't have enough faith in this current humanity to believe that we can do it on our own. We can, we clearly cannot. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. But um, I think uh, I agree with that. I don't think we can do it on our own. I think there's got to be some sort of interaction between us and. And so, what is what is the purpose of this interaction if the interaction is still allowing just deep deep harm to happen and then for that deep harm to not be isolated that deep harm is creating a ripple effect rampant rampant pedophilia rampant sexual abuse rampant like all of the things and not just pedophilia for like men on women like men on girls it's also like women on little boys like and men on little boys and women on little like it's it's across the board and i i just like, I just can't quite get over yeah. that hump. I, I think my question would be, what, what is cosmic justice or, or what is justice in the end? Yeah. Uh, I think that would be, 
that's probably, uh, you know, kind of in line with, I think I'd want to know the same thing you'd want to know. Um, and I also, I also tend to think that Jesus wasn't trying to start another church. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, you know what? I don't know about that. I wrestle yeah. with that. Huh? I wrestle with that a lot. I'm yeah. not sure. I'm not sure. And, and, uh, I, I'm trying to think, did we try to think if we got in, I think we did get into this at one point in, so wait, yeah. hold up, back up. Are you saying that I'm more of a follower of Jesus than you are because I'm agnostic? Maybe. <laughs> kidding, I'm kidding. No, actually, maybe. I don't know. Like, I, I know, I'm serious. I don't know, maybe. Because, because I, I like, I'm, I'm not kidding when I say, like, Jesus was really intent on learning the scripture, but he was very skeptical of, you know, yeah, I mean, I think about him, like, turning the tables over, you yeah. know, about that God's house being corrupted and stuff. So, like, uh, he never said, hey, y'all, y'all have got it right. Like, he never, <laughs> he never said that. He never yeah. said that. So, yeah. like, I, I want to know what, was he trying to, what was he trying to say? Was he trying to say that, like, you know, I, I don't know that for him, he, because there's this mix of, right, like, human and divinity if you accept that that I don't I think in some ways he was whatever he would have you can take it one or two ways one way that he was bound by his humanity to not know exactly what he needed to say or or maybe he really couldn't see the future or uh or whatever he said we would have taken and bastardized it but I it doesn't seem to me like he was really concerned with building a church he was concerned with loving people and so if that's the case what does that what does that even mean and, you know, I mean, I, I'm a minister and I, you know, am, am in a church and I, and I think we, we really try to, we really try to put the love thing before anything else because that's the point. So I, I struggle with this. I struggle with it because I think our, I think our church tries to do the love thing really well. So I'm, I'm good with our church, but there's so many churches I'm not good with. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't see myself and my you know, I think everybody has to ask what their calling is. And I've all, if you're a minister and mine, I've never seen as necessarily trying to like recruit people for church. Like I, 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 I'm, I would, I, I, my goal is never to be like, Sarah, I'm going to baptize you. You're going to be a Christian. Like, that's not my goal. Uh, I, my goal is to reform churches. Like, I want churches to be like, oh, shit, we're not actually loving people, and we need to do that. That needs to be the goal. Because that's the point. Whether or not you go to church or you don't go to church, or you believe in Jesus, or you believe in Buddha, or you don't believe in anything at all, love is the point. But the thing about love is that it's, 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 it's too, uh, it's too broad, or it's too, uh, people have so many different meanings for it. But so, that's why I think he had to like show the example of his life to do it. Right. Yeah. But, but like, I, I mean, I guess this, and like, this is, I have struggled. This is like, I want to write a whole like philosophy book on like the idea of love, because I think the idea of love is so bastardized by so many people that it has no, it has no real meaning behind it. It has no real, um, call to action, I guess, behind it. Um, 
there are plenty of, and like, and the, and it's like, how do you, how do you acknowledge a personal experience or how do you choose which experiences are ethical and which experiences are not, right? Um, and like, at, at what point do you say like, yes, that is love and no, that is not love, right? And, and I say this from a position where, you know, I, I'm like where I am working with people who are battered and things like that. And like, you know, we tell them what the other is doing is not love and it is not love, but both parties seem to believe that that is love. And so like, how do you come into a situation where everybody else thinks that it's love and you're like, I disagree and I'm going to decide this for you? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really difficult question Um, because I mean, you've got, you've got legal protections in place to some extent. Right. But then you've also got like, what would, what would any given community say? So like, I tend to think that your question about who gets to decide what love is, that from a church perspective, that would be decided in our community, right? So that would, and not, and not by, but not not someone high up. That would be, it would be a continual discussion amongst, amongst the members. But like, what, I mean, like, but, mm, because we see, because we see this, so often where people become be, get into a position of power and they get into a circle where there is a specific narrative of what x y or z is and they go along with that narrative because of whatever reason but it's not it's not just or it's not kind i mean Catholic church, anything, anything in the government, like all of these things are clear indications of people, right? Like coming into a position that is meant to be just and ethical and it's meant, it's designed to be, um, you know, set, it's literally set up in a way that is meant, like is meant to be weeding out the unethical and yet it is still not doing that and what that says to me is just that like power corrupts right like and it's not just power it's influence corrupts it's choosing the self against the other corrupts like all of these things um and i think that they're all like interrelated blah 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 blah. this is way off topic from what we're actually talking about but i just can't I don't know how to, I don't, I can't see how love is something that people will choose, like, absolutely. Or like, in a, in a, like, there isn't a situation in which people would choose love to the point of martyrdom and everybody would choose it for the other. And therefore it would be like a, um, like everybody holds each other up because they're all like, t- they're all leaning on each other kind of situation. 
there's always going to be that one person who ruins it. Maybe, but I mean, part of that is, part of that is boundaries in community. Like, I guess I see, I see that, I see that evolving in church, in my, in my setting. Um, and, and I want to kind of be a little bit clear about what my setting is because it's maybe different than a lot of other people's experience experiences, including my own history. Um, so it's not hierarchical. Um, it's very democratic. There's a lot of different committees that are, that sort of run the leadership of the church. So everything is, everything takes a lot of time and effort and there's a lot of conversation and it's exhausting, but we all sort it out together. Um, and it's kind of hard for one person to take over in that scenario when you're all. But it's not even just like one person. It's like a group, right? Groups get this is we're way off topic and we've got to wrap it in two hours we've got to wrap it up but and like and I want to and I, like this is a thing that I really want us to talk about more in like our own experiences because when we get to that episode because I have I mean I have a whole like my whole thing is that like maybe this world is actually hell <laughs> like, maybe it's actually like a hellscape where we the know, lost ending. Huh? It's the the lost show, like one of the lost show endings that we feel like everybody's in purgatory or whatever. Yeah, kind of like yeah. because we see it. Like those of us who are trying, we see what needs to happen, and yet we also see that we are like fully incapable of actualizing that. I mean, I personally, I would I would love to fully give myself over to the other, but I know that that's an impossibility. And that would lead to that would lead to harm for not just myself but for other people. I don't know that the purpose is to fully give yourself over to another. But it's, like, it's I think there has to be some boundaries there. There like, has to be some boundary, boundaries, but like what like at what point that's the question is like at what point do you choose love for yourself or do you choose love for the other? Like where does where does that where does that happen? I think it's, I think it's a moving target. I mean, like the great, so the greatest commandment, right. Is to love God and love others as you love yourself. So that's like a triangle, right. That there's a sense of a, a greater other, what, however you define that in energy, people as a whole coming together, whatever, whatever other is. And then there's, uh, there's yourself and then there's your neighbor, right. So there's this kind of whatever it looks like there's a triangle. And I think we all have to define what that means and in, in terms of in terms of how we interact with ourselves and, and the other but there there has to be boundaries because as a therapist whenever I whenever boundaries are not properly in place it's a nightmare and and but, people are but as a therapist there are like laid out obvious laid out rules for what is and is not appropriate well, no, 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 not not for me as a therapist personally. The nightmare isn't with me. The nightmare is, is is what I'm saying that that my that my clients have whenever their boundaries have been just completely overridden, right? That that you know, like you're talking about like abuse, like you were talking about abuse, the the women you work with in domestic violence situations. So like when there's violence, or whether or not that's 
verbal or physical or sexual or however you want to define the psychological, I think boundaries have to be in place and, and, and enforced. And that boundaries are, help us to create an environment of love. Like if everybody was just allowed to do whatever they wanted and run wild and there was never any consequences, then that would be problematic. So there has to be a sense of, of boundaries in community. Whether, whether or not that's church or not church, there has to be a sense of boundaries in community, sure. boundaries for self and boundaries for other in order that love can be fostered. Because if there isn't boundaries like you're talking about, that isn't love. You're right. No, I like... It's, it's not, yeah, because like there needs to be trust. And so like having no boundaries means that there's no trust. And so there needs to be trust with love. It's, it's so fraught. We're really way over. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to edit out. This could be a whole <laughs> episode on itself. We'll probably like cut this like 30 minutes ago. It's fine. But um, like it could be its own episode. It, and like, and I kind of want it to be because this is, this is like my, this is my thing. This is my like little piece of sand that I'm just like. Ooh, it's got it's got your hackles in a. Got it's got and it has for years. Like I can't, I can't, I keep thinking about like different ways that like love could be understood, and nothing is satisfactory. Nothing is satisfactory. Get her craw on it, and we we got to do an episode on it then. I'm just basically covered in sand, and I'm just like trying to get it off. Yeah, she's got her hackles just just going, just <laughs> and not in a sexy way. Not in a sexy way, just in a get this fucking sand off me way. <laughs> okay, all right, wrapping it up. I'm, wrapping glad we, up. I'm glad we solved it. I'm glad we solved the mystery of the resurrection. So we now know what love is, and we now know why Jesus died and was resurrected. You're welcome. Yeah. We're uh, just call. It, we're gonna rename this podcast to Geniuses Just Being Awesome and High Fiving. Yes, agreed. <laughs> That's how we do. Agree to agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thank you guys for like bearing with us through all of this. Um, would you? We would love it. It would be amazing. We're trying to get our podcast more visibility. If you could just share your favorite episode with a friend of yours. I know my favorite episode is the Judas one. Honestly, now it might be this one, but um, yeah, if you could just do that, we would love it. Um, we want, we want more listeners. We want more feedback. We want you guys to know how much we value your participation. And I had a lot of fun with the St. Patrick's Day episode. That was, that was a good, that was that was a good time. Um, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. Um, make, make sure to subscribe and give us a good rating. Uh, don't give us a bad rating. Just stop listening. <laughs> or like, you know what? If you're going to give us a bad rating, at least like give us some feedback because we're, we're trying and we want to know what you think, truthfully. Right. And uh, if it's about sound quality, then you can donate to our Patreon page and help us with that. <laughs> it's, you guys, I'm trying so hard. It's, you know, page, we're, you know, we don't have a lot of money. So patreon.com slash Bible bitches podcast, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Bible bitches podcast. Awesome. And you can contact us at Bible bitches, Bible bitches fan page on, uh, Facebook. 
And you can Gmail email us at BibleBetches with an E because Gmail's crude at gmail.com. And we'll check that like once a year. So. Yeah. Or you know what, you guys, maybe just email me directly at SarahEhoff at gmail.com because I'll definitely respond to you if you were, if you get in touch with yeah. me personally. Or just slide into our DMs at BibleBetches. Mm-hmm. We love, we love a good DM. Um, we want to... <laughs> Why did that sound dirty? Um, special thanks to Engage Gaze with a Z uh, for hosting our podcast on their website. We also want to give a huge shout out to at Aaron Doodles for our awesome artwork. And also a shout out to at Yo Eves. Um, Miss Eves is, I think, getting ready to go on another tour. Um, she does her intro and outro music, and she is amazing. She so is. Big, much, big, much love to her. Yeah. And we look forward to uh, talking to you all again next episode. Yeah. Thank you, guys. We love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.